This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to episode 268 of What Most People Think. And this is going to be, this don't, don't you dare switch off, but this is going to be another solo episode. So there's two reasons for this. Well, the first is the reason. <laughs> And the other reason is the reason why I'm going to tell you that it's actually better in the long run. It's sadly, I had a guest fall through quite late. But when you look at the last seven days of politics, everything that's happened um, since the last episode, I did feel like we just got to unpack it together. I don't know. Am I doing this for me? Or <laughs> is it for the audience? Or is it just fucking therapy? Going, we're going to go right back to that murky night in the Commons last Wednesday with Lindsay Hoyle. Oh, yeah, you. No, I did it for the right reason, you. I did it with you. I won't have anything off you. Labour Party up to their old tricks, Tories playing it for all it was worth, SNP on their high moral horse. So there was all that to unpack. And then, of course, Lee Anderson, I think he must have heard me defending him on last week's podcast. And then he he gets himself in all sorts of trouble. And also the guest dropping out, it does give me an opportunity to include another audio book chapter from the British bloke Decoded. So that is a, it's a chapter called Hero Daydreams. And it's about well, all blokes, deep down we want to believe that we can save the world. Also, there was big news last week for me. I announced my documentary, which has been the mystery TV project that I've been trying to hype up some interest in online. Literally, the internet has been ablaze. But you know, like kind of blaze when you set fire a toilet roll. <laughs> It's the least flammable thing ever. It's been a blaze like that. But it is, um, it's called University, Is It Really Worth It? And I announced it at the back end of last week. And those of you who follow me on social media would have seen that I made uh, a right pig's ear of it. First, I got the date wrong, also the time wrong, and then it turned out the title wrong. So it's definitely on Monday the 11th of March at 9pm. And it's, it's sort of coming from the point of view of... I was the first in my family to go university, right? And it was a very proud moment. If you want to, again, look on my social media, there's a photo of me in my whistle looking... Well, I didn't want to wear it on the day. I was like, Mum, I don't want to wear, like, strides and a collar. But she was like, no, son, it's your graduation. 
everyone wears smart clothes in their graduation. And then uh, who was the only bell in there dressed like that? Me. Everyone was in smart cash. So I put that photo online thinking everyone would mock the photo. But in fact, it was the other way around. They mocked how I look now. They said, oh, you were quite handsome. What the fuck happened, Jeff? They mo- what happened was 26 years or maybe more than that. Was I was 21. Yeah, 26 years happened. You insensitive dicks. And the problem is, it's because I, you know, I come across as a blokey bloke. I have to kind of make out I wasn't personally devastated by a lot of the comments. And I wasn't. It was absolutely fine. Right, who have we got? New patrons. Remember, if you sign up, you'll get the podcast weekly, ad-free and with bonus content. And this week, with the bonus content, I'm going to be telling you, I'm not even sure I'm supposed to, but I think I can get away with it because it's behind a paywall. I'll be giving you a bit more of a tease of the documentary and telling you um, some behind-the-scenes stuff. But um, let's have a look at the patrons we've got this week. We've got Aaron Aaron McGee. Aaron, Aaron McGeever. Did we not speak about Yeah, McGeever. Get in my office. We spoke about him the other week. Robert Tyler. Why am I thinking rock star for Robert Tyler? Why'd that be? Are you like, oh, you mate, are you the Nepo baby son of Steven Tyler? All these fucking Nepo babies. You know, like they, these Nepo babies, they always want to break out on their own, don't they? Like it's so obvious to the entire rest of the planet that the only reason that they have success is because they're, because they're parents. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've heard or seen of it. It's Brooklyn Beckham's photography book that he produced. I mean, just... Do you know those photos that you used to send to, like, Snappy Snaps back in the day and they'd come back with a stick on them with a bit of advice, like, you know, how it could be less shit next time? He made a book out of that, but I'm sure that, that he would love to believe that it's all because of his talent. And so maybe you are the son of rock god Steven Tyler. Uh, we've also got a new Patreon, uh, somebody called Spiracle. Spiracle. I mean, I can't... It says your email address is, so I don't feel like I can reveal what your name is, so I have to base it on Spiracle. It sounds like one of those new products, doesn't it, where they just merge the name of two words, Spiracle, like miracle, but mixed with a spirit. Maybe it's the Holy Grail. Maybe it's like um, vodka that you don't get hung over off of. Did you see that a while ago? The the guy that used to advise... Remember when New Labour got advice from that professor, Dr. David Nutt? which is always hilarious, off your nut. And uh, he advised that ecstasy was no more harmful than riding a horse or something. It was a bit of a weird comparison. He should have used that comparison again about ketamine. Is uh, Ketamine is no more harmful than riding a horse or giving ketamine to a horse. Then he, what was it called? Steria, Stevia, Spirica. Again, it was one of these names where they use word roots to evoke, you know, like if you invented a new laxative, you'd call it laxicum. Or Laxacor. <laughs> Laxacor sounds like an evil corporation that are trying to make everyone shit themselves. But anyway, Spiracle. We've also got Joel Davis. Joel, 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 Joel. Please don't take my man. <laughs> is that the song? Jo- Jolene. What is she talking about in that, in that country and western song? Have you ever noticed that, that a lot of those songs, once you dig into them, they're weirder than you remember them being? I mean, she's basically begging another woman to not take her man. You'd feel like it's not really on the other woman, isn't it? It's really maybe the bloke shouldn't fuck off, you know. But that was how it was in the days. Women blamed other women and we were happier. There was also um, songs like, do you remember Richard Marks? There's always remember that weird song he had about we went down the riverside. And he's, he's basically when you unpack this song, it's about him getting accused of murder. Am I just making this up? Hang on. Okay, so I've got the lyrics up here and Richard Marks fans will be offended that I didn't immediately know. So the lyrics are, my mother came to Hazard when I was just seven. Even the folks in town said with prejudiced eyes, that boy's not right. Okay, so there's immediate heads up. This is not going to be very 
politically correct. Three years ago when I came to know Mary, oh dear, first time that someone looked beyond the rumours and the lies and saw the man inside. I'm like, why am I not trusting this fella? Okay, we used to walk down by the river. Okay, you'll know that chorus. We used to watch the sun go by. No one understood what I felt for Mary. This, this sounds sinister. No one cared until the night she went out walking all alone and never came home. Jesus Christ. Man with a badge came knocking next morning. Here I was surrounded. Okay, at this point, I now think it's mentioned prejudice. Could this be about American history of black guys getting accused of murders? But I, I don't know. All I'll know is that none of us knew it was about that. <laughs> When we were singing along to it, blasting out of our Vauxhall Novas on Capital FM. Jesus Christ, that's heavy. That boy's not right. <laughs> that boy's not right. We all had someone on the estate who they said that about, didn't they? That boy's not right. He ain't right. Wrong one. Damien Val... Oh, this is just a made-up name. Damien Val Aldewegen. Or it could just be a Dutch name, I suppose. Just became... I'm looking at his photo. It looks kind of Dutch. Hello, Damien. Are you, are you Dutch? DVA. DVA, you sound like somebody I'd get a letter or a fine off of. Anyway, welcome to the Patreon community, Damo. And finally on the Patreons this week, we've got Matthew Petty. Just two letters off being Matthew Perry, although uh, <laughs> could your name be any more like Chandler's? Come on, look, I'm not feeling the best. It's not going to get better than that this week. If, if that's not good enough for you, I don't know what you people are looking for. The main talking point, as ever, I'm loving the feedback of our super patron, David Domain, who listens to the previous week's episode and gives feedback and elaborates, elaborates on some of the talking points. He says, I hope you're well and fighting fit. Well, I was, and now I'm not. Um, strictly speaking, Labour has had a female leader. When John Smith died in 1994, Margaret Beckett led the party for a couple of months until Tony Blair won the leadership contest to replace Smith. Okay, and I was talking about how left-wing regimes can become populist. I think I was talking about, and I mentioned, I thought it was Cambodia, and David uh, confirms it was Pol Pot, was the communist leader in Cambodia you were referring to. His regime is estimated to have caused 1.5 to 2 million deaths, around a quarter of the Cambodian population back then, via mass executions, forced labour, malnutrition, and disease in labour camps. But, you know, he was left-wing, he was... Ugh. Come on, guys, he was trying his best. He was left wing. I mean, if that had been a right wing guy, I mean, biggest evil we'd ever known, but he was just trying to make life better. What most people think. Okay, thank you. The thank you is to Premiering. Now, I did give a heads up uh, last week that I was going to, uh, well, I was going to throw some money at the problem. I was away four days and I just splashed out. I went up a notch, took it up a level and went to a Premier Inn. That doesn't mean I've abandoned Travel Lodge for good. It was just. They had a deal on the Premier Inn and shit, I mean, look, I was in Derby. Well, Derby's great, man. Derby, I don't, I don't think much else happens in Derby because the audience seemed... It was good vibes for a Wednesday, man. Thursday was in Kendall, was it? Yeah, Kendall, very nice there, very nice. A lot of couples in matching sort of mountain wear, but not walking mountains, walking small hills, but it was nice. Not at the gig, obviously, but just walking around. Is, is it a tourist place, Kendall? It seemed like it might be. Then Lancaster in Friday, a really wicked crowd there. Then Middlesbrough on Saturday. And Saturday, I mean, Middlesbrough, my God, that's a punchy town, isn't it? Jesus Christ. I was walking through the town or city centre. Is it a town or a city? There's one for David Domain. Is it a town or a city? And if it's not a city, how resentful are they about that? And if it is, when did it happen? And I was walking to the venue and the pubs in and around the venue. Like at half six, they were like peak time. 
on a long, hot bank holiday weekend. There was punch-ups, people being thrown out of pubs, people being thrown into pubs in some cases. It was like sort of like a barroom brawl in Blazing Saddles. So the, the gig was lovely, but I, I felt a sense of peril. But I had premierings, so this is my important. I had premierings. And the thing is, is the bath. It really comes down, a lot of it is down to the bath. The bath... It's a proper bath. It wants to be bathed in, doesn't it? It's deep. You can lie in it. The taps, you can do them with your feet. It's the, the temperature controls are very welcoming, you know, whereas the Travelodge bath experience is just not... It's basically... It's a warning, isn't it? It's just saying, don't bother, mate. Don't bother. Like, it's too short. It's too shallow. The taps are fucking weird. It's just saying, don't even think about it. Unless you're a four foot man with a pigeon chest, you will not be able to cover yourself fully with warm water. Um, so look, I will be back at the lodge this week. I'm on tour this week in Wednesday. I'm in Newport, and then Thursday I'm in Tewkesbury. So I'll be doing I'll be doing Travel Lodge, and then Friday the Stevenage show is sold out. I'm back at Leeds. Back at Leeds, by the way. Why? How has this become a plug for my fucking shows? I'll probably plug them again later. But yeah, the bottom line is, it was nice to see how the other half live at a Premier Inn. It felt good. The tea bags were a bit nicer. I mean, that, the, tea, the tea bags and the bars were a bit nicer and there was a bit more sort of wood in the room. That's what you pay extra for. For me, that was the equivalent of getting the penthouse at the Bellagio. It was nice while it lasted, but eventually you have to return to, to your normal life. Uh, the fuck you is sport, right? So sport is, it's a form of gambling, isn't it? And I've had a bad week of sport. The England test team, who won the first test in India, and it was a miracle, and have played well in patches, perhaps thrown it away a little bit sometimes, but they looked like they were going to win the fourth test, but they fluffed it completely. You know, India are a good side, but they fluffed it. And then AFC Wimbledon, you know, it's happened a few seasons running now. Is that in this, After January, we struggle a bit. Injuries, selling our best players. And then the problem is, right, is once upon a time, particularly with your football team, when you lost, you'd be there in the ground, you'd have that feeling, all the shouting, all the angry people, all the men that have got other stuff going on in their lives but can't confront it head on so they they consolidate all of their monthly emotions <laughs> into one affordable screaming session at a football match, right? And then... And then you go away. And but now the problem is, is that if you're signed up to all these forums and these discussion, you know, like these places, it's like you get the moany twat behind you, but he follows you around all week. Go, oh, well, we should sack the board, sack the board, sack the manager, sack the club. They don't want it. They don't care. They don't do like that just because they can't deal with the disappointment. And you have to think that if those blokes were in charge of football, I mean, just what state would the game be in? Just sacking managers every third week, just. They'd be more like agency staff. You know, like when you go to a corporate event and there's those youngsters there who've basically been told, wear a white shirt and black trousers. They would have all the employment stability of agency staff. And I sort of think about why blokes do this. And I guess it is hard, isn't it? Because there'll be a lot of blokes that find that they don't or they can't really articulate the problems in their lives. You know, it's much easier, isn't it, to scream at the manager, just scream, you don't know what you're doing, Jackson, rather than say, you won't even look at it anymore. <laughs> you know, or to say, sack the board, sack the board, or like, we're rather than, well, we, we haven't really had sex since the third baby. You know, it's all, all a process of projection for men. And I think it's healthy that blokes do have that, right? You can't just say, well, that's unsatisfactory. They should stop doing that and they should suddenly excavate every last feeling they've ever had. But the problem is, is that my re response to losing a football match is I just want to quietly endure my own disappointment 
So I've just realised. I'm just, I am. <laughs> this is just another form of toxic masculinity, isn't it? So there's the blokes that scream and shout and bulge their eyes and their blood pressure peaks out. And then there's me who's just gently trying to push it, push it as far down right into my ankles as I can. Just bury the feelings. Oh, God. I was trying to make a progressive point here, but I've realised I'm just the flip side of the thing that I'm criticising. Okay, let's get away from feelings and let's project all of our thoughts onto something else. Let's talk about a well, a fairly, fairly bleak seven days in British politics. All right, so let's dial back the let's set the Back to the Future DeLorean back to Wednesday of last week. So it was it was opposition day, which I'll be honest, most people wouldn't have been aware of what the fuck this was until it happened. I know what opposition mean day means, like upside down day. You know, like when women dress up as men and men dress up as women you used to have that sometimes down at your local. Although some people say that's just society now, right? Hey, is this thing on? So the SNP uh, had the chance to set the agenda, right? Of all the UK parties, they would be the most pro-Gazan, I would say, and the most strident in their criticism of Israel. And their amendment for the day, I think it included a phrase accusing... Israel of administering collective punishment, right? So that potentially put Labour in a difficult position, right? Because they want to be seen as ready for government. If they suddenly become the government, if they've accused Israel of collective punishment, that's not great for them. That puts them in a difficult position between them. Now, you could say that, was it playing politics? Well, the problem with accusing people of playing politics is it's almost always used by someone who is themselves playing politics, it's, it's like, you know, when your kid's in the playground going, you smell, no, you smell. It's on that level of just literally repeating the thing back to them. But that's kind of what you do, isn't it? You find a weakness and you use amendments sometimes to tease out that weakness in their position, like some sort of paradox in their politics and ideology that they're not acknowledging. And the Labour Party do do have that. We, we know that. It's fucking obvious. I mean, one thing about the public, and, and why would they want to know? Because it's quite boring. But amendments are often used in this way. There was one not that long ago with the Lib Dems, while we were all, all obsessed with shit in the rivers. Do you remember that? I mean, I put it up there with crumbly concrete as just these things that come and go that seem like the end of the world at the time. And the Lib Dems basically had an amendment, I think, was that we should have no more shit in our rivers and seas. But the practical reality for that from the government was that if you stop that immediately it would basically bubble up back into our houses so the Tories effectively voted against having that happen but then Labour and the Lib Dems said that the Tories have just voted for shit in the seas <laughs> it's, I mean, it just sounds so childish when you say it but that was fundamentally what happened they and then you know obviously the GTTO movement who just want to perceive the Tories as evil, saying they they actually want this. They want shit. No, they might be facilitating a situation where more of it happens than usual, uh, but I'm not sure even they in their maddest moments would want it, right? So Labour in a bind. Lindsay Hoyle. Eh, eh, you, eh, right. I mean, I'm not saying this is a great Lindsay Hoyle, but you eh, you just get someone who just eh, sounds a bit dis- distracted. Right, shut up, you. He selects the Labour amendment, right? The SNP kick off. The Tories are kicking off though there are some rumours that the Tories kick off is a bit more performative than the SNP's one given that the Tories might have lost their own amendment I know but I will say this right if you've sort of got the Tories and the SNP acting in unison in being furious then maybe maybe it was breaking protocol wasn't the right move right so subsequent to that Lindsay Hoyle 
he comes back to the Commons and he's, he's, he's emotional. He's emotional. I mean, but there's people saying a clearly emotional Lindsay Hoyle. I think the geezer wakes up emotional, doesn't he? Uh, and he apologised. I mean, what else can you do, really, when people are walking out and, you know, people are... There's vitriol and it's all kicking off in the Commons. Very reminiscent of the meaningful votes and Brexit and, and so on. It really, really took me back. Uh, but it sort of spared Labour's blushes, in a way. And I've got to say one thing, you know, the way that politicians conducted themselves, there was a lot of unedifying things. The Labour frontbenchist Lucy Powell really wound me up. The way she stood up and tried to parlay it. Because the thing is, if you've got the Labour and the SNP walking... Uh, sorry, Tories and the SNP walking out together, you think, oh, maybe, maybe don't sort of stoke this any further than it needs to be. But then she says, well, the, the, the government, well, they've decided not to govern. Oh, really, Lucy? Is that what it is? And there, there was this clip that I, I clipped up into a, a little bit, just for a laugh, by the way, because there was a moment where she said, well, at this point, oh, they're, they're just embarrassing themselves. I would just say when you're on the front bench of uh, the House of Commons, just don't say anything that it would be seen to be a standard line for a supply teacher. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. So then later that evening, the journalist, Newsnight journalist, Mike Wyatt, he claimed that senior Labour figure, a senior Labour figure, all figures lent on Hoyle, right? Now, Labour pushed back on this. Well, they sort of said to him that, you know, hey, I'm just saying, Lindsay, you don't pick our amendment, maybe it's not going to be so good for you. Huh? Oh, hey, you're a nice guy. Hey, you're a fundamentally... De- this was the thing you heard most about Lindsay Hoyle in the last week, is that it was a coded way of saying he fucked up, but a lot of Tory MPs were saying it as well. He's a fund- Lindsay Hall is a fundamentally decent man. He's like saying, in this occasion, he acted like a prick. So this Mike Wyatt journalist, he used to work at The Guardian, and he's now, I think, a lead reporter at Newsnight. So the peril for him of just making shit up, I think, would be fairly high. So something has happened, and I've heard an interview with the guy since, and, yeah, a senior Labour figure definitely relayed to him that pressure was put on Hoyle regarding his future. Now, it may be maybe that person was speaking out of turn. Some people might say, well, why would they do that? It's just crazy to admit that. Well, in the immediate aftermath of it all going tits up, there was a little bit 
of braying by the Labour side of like, well, the SNP tried to play politics. We just played it a bit better. So you could think that there was a bit of bravado on behalf of whoever spoke to this guy. But, you know, all right, maybe that person spoke out of turn. Maybe there wasn't pressure put on Lindsay Hoyle. But I would be amazed if that journalist, I mean, why the hell would a former Guardian journalist just think, oh, I'm just going to make up some shit. Yeah, I'll just stir the, I'll just make something up. What, what would really get this story going? Oh, yeah. A senior Labour figure. I mean, it's not it's not like a shit poster, is it? He's not like a guy with like 17 numerical digits and four flags in his profile. And then later it emerges that Keir Starmer also paid Lindsay Hoyle a visit, which is not totally unheard of. Whips, politicians, and Lindsay Hoyle said, I'm an open door, anyone can come and speak to me. But, you know, quite likely Starmer to be the future PM. Paid him a little visit. Again, this is all sounding very... Hey, uh, Lindsay, uh, Keir just like to pay you a little visit. You know, have a little bit of... Uh, uh, just a sit-down, eh? a little parlay. So you got to ask yourself, right? So Starmer reportedly said to him that a lot of his MPs are being harassed, intimidated and possibly under threat, Right. That is true. That is happening, right? That's also a big issue in itself, which we'll come to. What you got to ask yourself, do you think that that was Starmer's only motive for going to Hoyle to put pressure on? Maybe, maybe it wasn't. Like I say, I've got a certain cynicism about this guy, but maybe it's PTSD from Tony Blair. I don't know, right? So Hoyle stuck to the fact that he was just doing it to protect the Howard. Do it again. So he apologised, but kept saying he'd do it again. So it's not really an apology, is it? He says, I'm sorry, what I did, I'm sorry, I'll fucking do it again. I'll fucking do it again. And it, right, say we're being charitable. We take Hoyle at face value, right? We also take Keir Starmer at face value. The problem is it's not unreasonable for the public to then deduce from that. that and look, by the way, I get it. The Tories, yeah, were trying to play this for all it was worth. They wanted to see Labour put in a difficult position. I get all of that. But that is within the normal realms of how politics operates, right? And the SNP were entitled to be annoyed because protocol was broken and it disadvantaged them what was done was out of the ordinary so yes they played it for all it was worth but they weren't the ones that were the subject of protocol being broken now the problem for labor is the legacy of what happened is there's an it's quite a big deal is there's, there's a, a suggestion there that a future labor government might not be able to legislate with a free hand because aspects of their supporter base might intimidate or harass or worse their mps right because if Starmer's being honest, that is essentially what he's implying. And people like to act like Starmer's this grown up in the room, you know, he's like, you know, just care, just good old honest care, just just dealings with a straight hat. Look, I just want a fundamentally decent. Okay, fine. He's also quite inexperienced. He was only come in the Commons in 2015. So it could well be that he hasn't really thought beyond this. The implication is that on certain foreign policy issues or potentially culture issues, that he can't legislate with a free hand. So, right, even if I'm trying to be as charitable as I can to the Labour side of this, but that is one big question that emerges out of the whole sorry affair. What most people think. When's he going to talk about Lee Anderson? I'm going to talk about Lee Anderson. Right? It did feel, I mean, after, after I've got stuck my neck out for Lee, right, listen to his podcast with Matt Ford, and I, was, I, was, I still maintain he come across well. All the things I said about him stand. I think it's important to have people with his working class background, his experience, all of that stuff, right? But what he said, so what he said on Friday, the story had been rumbling around in the media, the implication that Labour were unable to respond to certain things because of how aspects of their supporter base might respond. And then Lee Anderson is on GB News and he said that he didn't think that um, Britain was in the grip of Islamists, but he thought that Khan was, right? Now, so straight away, and some of you won't like this, I think 
he went too far, right? Because, look, the truth is there'll be plenty of people that will agree with what he said, but what's the direct proof of what he said? Now, if you think he's in the pay of Islamists, how does Khan's... I mean, I really am... This is where I'm fucked off with Lee Anderson, for making me indirectly defend Sadiq Khan. But Khan's support for, you know, you think about the fireworks at New Year's Eve and his support for queer causes. And, and look, there are a lot of Jewish people that would say that at times Sadiq Khan has stuck his neck out and been an ally. Now, if you'd have asked a more direct, specific question here on the subject of the marches, say, has Sadiq been a bit blind to what, what a, a faction of these marches have been saying and the banners and stuff... Maybe he's in a trickier position there, but it's a quite a, a bold claim by that. And and the problem is, and look, and you also got to ask yourself if if you had a journalist that was being accused or a politician that was being accused of being in the pay of the Zionists or captured by the Zionists, you'd call that anti-Semitism, right? So the implication there is that you would do the same equivalent the other way around. I don't, that's my reading of it, but like I say, not everyone will see it. As the same way. And if, if you want to explain to me why that's not the same, genuinely, what most people think, UK at gmail.com. Now, the problem is, is where a lot of conservative politicians got also got angry with uh, Lee Anderson is that, you know, people like Robert Buckland, Sajid Javid, is that we were having an important discussion here. British, the, the I'm sorry, I'm not being very funny at the moment, but this is like a really serious subject is... The fundamental workings of British democracy had been changed because of harassment, intimidation and fear. Right, That was a really important discussion to have. The last thing you want to do is lob up the sort of liberal press, a fucking half folly, which is one guy saying something which a lot of people felt was racist or Islamophobic. Because immediately the whole machinery of the media will do what it always does, which is it will focus more on what one person said than what's happening you know, if you look at like particularly female Labour MPs being intimidated, if you look at the fact that we've got three female MPs who've currently got security guards all the time, right? If you look at what happened to David Amos, you look at what happened to the teacher in Batley who's still in hiding, we could have a discussion about all that. Now, I'm not excusing the Liberal press for their some occasional blindness to that stuff, but this is the problem. You know, when you're right of centre, you don't want to give... If you have conservative politics, the last thing you want to do is give the other side an easy hit. Yeah, oh, here you are. I'm just going just gonna to say something dodgy, throw this one up, smoke it to the boundary. And look, again, if you're annoyed with me, you think I'm not showing Lee Anderson support, the Spectator came out of an article criticising what he said. There are plenty of people on the right of politics that felt what he said was beyond the pale. But that doesn't change the fact that what, what started this, what started this was Labour being in a difficult position and the speaker either being pressured into something or just taking the wrong call and we might have set a precedent. And, you know, I think what most people think looking at this story is that they'll just be amazed, really, is how is this single issue overseas beating the drum of our politics? Not that it's not an issue. Of course it's going to be in the discussion. But to such an extent that we're changing political processes. There are so many problems here. And yet this now becomes the lead story for several days, right? And... I do wonder if the two parties, to varying degrees, are happy to rake in the muck because, you know, when, you, when you're not that different, certainly in terms of policy for the time being, it's a lot easier to wait for the other lot to make their latest fuck up, isn't it? And then sling some mud, you know, labouring problems over Rochdale. Now the Tories are in problems over perceived Islamophobia in the party. And, and again, it comes back to this, this point I was making all along, which is that we were told when Sunak and Starmer returned that the grown-ups are back in the room. Well, I think the grown-ups have been smoking crack. 
Okay, right. I did usually try and get a few more jokes into stuff like that, but um, I don't know. Maybe I just needed to unpack that all for myself. What do you think? What do you think? Would you agree with some of it, all of it, none of it? No cut. You change. You shill. Oh, I, I, I guarantee you any money that there'll be people from both sides who think that I haven't laid in hard enough to the other side. But let me know what most people think UK at gmail.com. As I say, the tour goes on until the end of April. And let's just have a quick look at some of the dates that are coming up. Let's rattle through them. Newport, Tewkesbury, Stevenage, Leeds, Winchester. I think it's sold out now. Worthing, big room. But selling well. Bath Comedia. Oh, Bath Comedia, you lot going to come. Yeah, you got to get an extra seat for your pashminas. And yeah, Bath, that's what you like, pashminas. Vegans and pashminas. Uh, Coventry, that sold really well, man. I don't know what it is about my mundane travelodge-based existence that would appeal to a city like Coventry, but um, I'm going to be at the Warwick. I mean, they say Coventry is at the Warwick Arts Centre. Warwick is a separate place as far as I know. The Ipswich Corn Exchange, that, I think we're getting on for 500 people there, so do get in there. Bristol, Red Grey Fear, that's nearly sold out. Uh, that's an extra date there. Nottingham, I think that's also nearly sold out. Chester, that has sold out. Crew, first ever tour date at Lyceum Theatre. I don't know anything about Crew. A crew, all I know is that Dario Grady uh, managed their team and then was there... Was there issues of nonsery with their football? Yeah, anyway, moving on. Uh, Shrewsbury, back in Shrewsbury, the place with the strange little toll bridge. The 20p toll bridge. And then I always say this, and I say, did I dream that? Did I dream? Yeah, it's got a weird little toll bridge, a 20p. It's almost, you know, one of those things that's offensively cheap. You go, just make it 50p or a quid. It's actually worse that it's 20p. It feels like you're just doing it to be a knob. Crawley. I mean, Crawley first ever, uh, tor- no, Torshad in the big room there. Again, we're up to 500 there. Reading, the concert hall, Reading, also up, getting up for 500. Dublin, Dublin on uh, Thursday, April the 11th. I'm going to be doing a premiere in there as well, you know, because um, it's going all right. Uh, and then Friday the 12th, April in Sale in the Waterside Theatre, um, Redditch, Redditch Palace Theatre. I mean, every time you do a theatre called Palace Theatre, I don't know what it is, and I love doing the South End Palace Fair and the Mansfield Palace Fair, but I have to say, the issue, the areas in and around there, yeah, a lot of chicken chops and nail bars. Peterborough, the Keith here, I think that's sold out now. The Tivoli in Wimborne, South End is nearly sold out, although people might return their tickets after what I just said. Wellingborough is coming up towards the end of April. Ilkley, that's a fucking long old way there, but hopefully I'm selling well there, I haven't checked. Southport, Southport. It's soft. What's that? The softer version of the Scouse accent. Maybe they vote Tory, but they don't talk about it. Is that right? Probably. Is there any concern? Every once in a while, you do see that there's a Tory MP in a weird area where it'll be like South Liverpool. You know what the fuck? It's like you know when you find out like like in my ignorance, and I'm not saying this is okay, but you know when they said a Christian church was bombed in Baghdad, and you're like, yeah, I totally knew there were Christian churches in Baghdad. Yeah, yeah. But deep down, you're going, I thought that there were none anywhere. Um, we're the only tolerant ones. Um, and then the last day of the tour, Sunday the 28th of April, at the new Wimbledon Theatre. I don't know how long they're going to call it that. I mean, it's the same Wimbledon Theatre that I grew up with, but I hope to see you out on tour. Okay, now let's do let's do a chapter from the audiobook. Have you got a cup of tea? Mm? Got a nice biscuit? Maybe a little ginger nut? Or Elaine, as you call her? That was such a shit joke. Look, let's hope the chapter is better than that. This is from The British Bloke Decoded, and it's called Hero Daydreams. Hero Daydreams. 10% of British men think they could beat a chimpanzee in a fight with their bare hands. There's long been a stat doing the rounds which claims that men think about sex once every seven seconds. 
I've always been a bit doubtful about this. It doesn't allow nearly enough other time for all the other silly bollocks blokes routinely contemplate. One mental preoccupation I've never seen much written about is our tendency for hero daydreams. A recent poll by YouGov suggested that 34% of British men felt they could land an aeroplane with no training, but with the qualifier that they'd have some support from air traffic control. The figure for women was half that. I like the caveat about air traffic control, which seems to suggest, hey, we're not saying we wouldn't need any support, it's not like we're deluded. For some reason, there's a part of the blokey psyche which needs to believe that when the shit hits the fan and the hero's call to action sounds, we will undoubtedly rise to the moment probably in slow motion, with really cool music playing in the background, barely flinching at a large explosion behind us. Landing planes isn't the only high-pressure situation where many blokes back themselves. Just under 10% of British blokes think they could win a fight with a chimpanzee. Get real, fellas, we've all been to the zoo. Having seen the upper body strength of those lads as they swing effortlessly from tyre to tree, there's no doubt in my mind that in the event of man-versus-chimp conflict, my sway and dad bod wouldn't give the alpha male too many sleepless nights. It's not just a contrast in general physical condition. Animals fight differently. They don't run their actions through a rational prism wondering if they'll get arrested or thinking, will this inflame my carpal tunnel? In the world of fight or flight, they don't leave anything on the table. Forget chimps, even a badger with nothing to lose could pose a formidable opponent. Around 13% of men think they could beat a large dog in a fight. I have some form in this matter. When my cockapoo, Lily, you shut up, it is a manly breed, was about six months old, I was out walking her, when I spotted coming towards me a man who seemed like he might be a little bit drunk, which at midday on a Tuesday wasn't a promising sign. Another red flag was the fact that he had a Staffordshire Bull Terrier by his side and the dog wasn't on a lead. I know there are many people who love Staffies and will defend them to their dying day, but the breed has form. All dogs can have a bad day at the office, but when Staffies do, it's backed up by free stone of muscle and teeth. The man suddenly put his arm out to the side and the dog promptly sat down, so I thought, fair play, it's clearly a well-trained dog, and felt guilty about my prior breedism. Then the fella walked off and the dog didn't follow. It wasn't his dog. The hand gesture in the dog sitting was mere coincidence. The staffy was now looking at my diminutive lily like she was either an enemy or lunch. Suddenly it started attacking her. At one point it had lily's whole head in its mouth. I tried to intervene and ended up on the ground wrestling with the two of them. I eventually got the dog's jaw free and Lily ran across the road into a neighbour's garden. I was left holding the staffy around the neck when it slowly turned to look at me, but luckily it didn't have the taste for man flesh that day. It broke free and chased Lily into the garden. I followed in hot but reluctant pursuit. I spent several minutes trying to get between the staffy and my precious Lily. I've tried to block it out now, but I think I was screaming my dog's name in a very high-pitched voice. I've often wondered what this must have looked like to passing drivers. The grass in the garden was high and they may well have only seen a deranged looking man hopping about shouting the word Lily like a mad horticulturalist. I was eventually able to scoop up my poor terrified pooch and started walking away. The staffy was hectoring me in that manic way feral bullies do once they tasted blood. I eventually walked past a car wash and told the staff what was happening and left the beast to them. God knows what I expected them to do with it. I strode off with Lily in my arms. Even though I'd been screeching and possibly crying a bit, my mind's eye had rendered me as Bruce Willis in Die Hard. I got Lily home and thought she might be traumatised so she'd probably see a vet. The vet checked her out and reassured me that she was fine. I had a few cuts and bruises but moreover was wide-eyed and still shaking. The vet smartly realised who really needed the attention. Are you okay, Mr Norcott? I'm fine, I replied too quickly. I'm, I'm just worried about Lily. 
She nodded, then asked me to sit down and went to make tea with several sugars in, a part of the story I'd never share with my mum. I still proudly sport a scar on my left wrist from this encounter. Sadly, for the purposes of my hero delusions, it wasn't from hand-to-poor combat with the dog, but from contact with the pavement I launched my 13-stone frame onto. The truth was, Bruce Willis was nowhere to be seen. Maybe it's all the superhero films we watched growing up, but the idea of saving everybody is intoxicating. I remember when I was in Afghanistan entertaining the troops. I don't like to bring it up. I won a medal, five tours, three of which were on forward bases. I was on a Chinook which was circling high above Helmand province and there had been reports of hostile activity below. My mind went to a very strange place. During the time we were circling, I engaged in one of the most ridiculous daydreams I've ever had. I imagined the Chinook got hit and we went down in enemy territory. Not only would I survive, I'd somehow seize the rear gunner position and provide covering fire for the RAF mechanics as they tried to get the aircraft going. This is deluded enough in itself. I might not even have had the upper body strength to remove the safety catch, but the worst of the narcissism centred on what would happen after we were rescued. I'd nobly refused to take any public credit for my act of heroism. I actually played out myself shunning the dictaphones of assembled reporters at RAF Bryce Norton upon my return, choosing instead to run towards my family. My daydream was punctured when real-world Jeff was still in that Chinook and had become so dizzy with all the circling that he needed to be violently sick in a soldier's helmet. The truth is blokes never grow up, so hero daydreams are a natural legacy of our flights of fancy as small boys. I remember watching the first Superman film, the costume, that theme tune, the modest way he'd never take any credit, the fact that even the bad girls loved him too. I'd secretly pull my shirt open the way Superman did. There was also something intoxicating about the Clark Kent Superman dichotomy. It planted in a young boy's mind that no matter how plain or nerdy you might seem, there was a lot more going on beneath. Sadly, that was where the cultural parallels ended. One implication of American cinematic dominance is the superheroes we worship all tend to roll their R's. There are barely any British superheroes with the honourable exception of Banana Man. The closest we come are guys like James Bond and Sherlock Holmes, which makes sense as if there was such a thing as a British superpower. It would almost certainly be sardonic wit. Plus, I'm not sure the Americans have ever heard of Mondeo Man. Recently, I got to be the hero and protector I've always hoped I would, should the moment arise. Maybe not enough to earn the Victoria Cross, but good enough for me. I'd taken my son to watch AFC Wimbledon play in Colchester away on the 27th of December 2022. We were sitting behind the goal and the players were warming up. They were pinging the ball pretty hard and several shots had already seen fans diving for cover. I thought about a couple of viral clips I'd seen of dads at baseball matches who, when the ball was coming towards them, had selfishly got out of the way and allowed the ball to smash into their partner or child. What an awful thing to exhibit. To demonstrate to the world that when it mattered, you abdicated one of your primary male functions to protect. I wondered how the women in the bloke's family felt about him after this and whether or not he was still allowed the honour of carving the turkey at Christmas. As I was thinking all this, a ball came hurtling towards me and my son. I don't know if it was the reflections I'd just had about public shame, but I was ready to act. I snapped out my forearm in front of my son's head and managed to angle it so that the ball not only didn't hit my son, but went up, taking the pace off it and didn't slam into the face of the old bloke behind me. There was a genuine gasp from around us, not for my reflexes, I suspect, but for the idea of what such a pacey shot would have done to a child of his size. So, I don't want any credit. No, just doing my job, man. Seriously though, if anyone could source video of that moment, I'll pay £1,000 for the footage. Genuine offer, that's why I included the game and date. 
contact the publisher. Okay, that is the end of this week's podcast. For everybody, I hope you enjoyed that free audiobook chapter. Obviously, if you do want to buy the whole audiobook or um, the hardback indeed, it's available on Amazon, iTunes, all that sort of business. And yes, it is me narrating the whole thing. Do you think I'm so do you think I'd honestly pay the money to get someone else in to do it? You're joking. Okay, review Oh my god, that was way too FM radio, wasn't it? Okay, just gonna round off the show today with a couple of reviews. Remember, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, I will read it out. But of course, we appreciate anywhere you guys God, no wonder they speak like this. It's fucking actually it's actually easier to speak like this. Although you couldn't carry that over into your relationship, can you? It wouldn't work at all, would it, if your wife says, why haven't you been up the dump yet? Okay, that's a good point. Why haven't I been up the dump yet? Calling in after the break, 806-406. All right, Shania. Um, reviews, uh, so I've only got one this week. It's from Groovy Limited. The headline of it is, Ryland knows more than you'd expect. And then the text says, so it's five stars. He's really cinched it with these wonderful podcasts. So I'm guessing Ryland's adverts, cinch adverts are on my podcast. And on that note, it's a good opportunity to explain. Some people say to me, well, last week there wasn't any adverts at all. It's because the podcasts have got dynamic advertising. And the reason being, if you've listened to a lot in one week, it'll know if you've heard that advert a lot. So sometimes you won't hear any, but there are always gaps on the podcast for adverts. Okay, coming up next week is another episode of this. Fuck off. Podcast. 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 Podcast.